Well, hey there, Redemption Hill Church. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for p- pressing click and play. And, and, and for, thanks for anyone else who's um, kind of peering in and um, listening to this sermon. Uh, welcome. And I hope this uh, sermon, and as we look at God's Word, is a benefit for you. And it spurs you on in your faith. Um, in light of some, in these unique times, in light of the unique times, I've decided to pause our sermon series in the book of Acts and in series simply called The Christian Life. In these times of uncertainty, I think it's important to remind ourselves of several foundational elements of Christianity, right? Um, I want to explore over the next three weeks what it means to be men and women of faith, hope, and love in our COVID-19 context. Because let's face it, our Christian life and our hearts, for that matter, is most tested when fear rages all around us like a 50-mile-an-hour wind in the state of Iowa. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, the wind always seems to hit you in the face. So what does it look like to face the wind of fear as a Christian? That is what we will be exploring in the next several weeks. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up to the book of Philippians. That's where we'll be landing today. In particular, you can open it up to Philippians chapter 4. If you're not familiar with your Bible, we're in the New Testament. Um, there are um, You've got some Gospels, the book of Acts, and then you get Romans. You have General Electric Power Company, Galatians, uh, Ephesians, and then you've got Philippians. So we'll be there at chapter 4. And then we'll begin in verse 4, and we'll take it to verse 9. So I'm going to read God's Word, I will pray, and then we'll dive right into the text. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then we have these other remarks from Paul, beginning in chapter, or excuse me, verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it instructs us, especially in times of crisis. And so I pray right now that your word would continue to move upon our heart, especially in these next few moments as the word is being preached and people are hearing and receiving. May you be glorified for the good of, the, of those who are listening and for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. Over the past several months, I've been reading a historical fiction series called the Shard Lake series, something I've really enjoyed. Um, All the books center on 
16th century Tudor England during the reign of King Harry, Henry VIII. Uh, Matthew Shardlake is a London lawyer who always seems to find himself commissioned by people in high authority just to investigate a mystery. For me, when, I, when, I, when I'm at home and i got a few moments, I'm picking up the book and I'm enjoying it. It's hard to put it down. I'm, I'm going to bed way too late reading through this series. In the fourth book, which I am currently in, England is on the verge of war with France. Women are concerned for their lives. Every man who is able is forced into the service of the king's army. And everyone is worried about what will happen if the French invade and begin to burn villages and plunder the goods. Fear, in this particular novel, fear is in the English air and war with France is at the forefront of everyone's mind and it is the primary topic of conversation. While I was on page... uh, 395 of this uh, 634 page book, it struck me that the author of the book did an excellent job describing how various characters in the book were responding to fear because of war. Uh, One of the main characters, Jack Barack, would have jumped at the prospect of going to war several years prior, like in book one, But now in book four, he's married, he's got a kid on the way, and he wants nothing to do. He is fearful for being enlisted because that means separation from his wife and to-be-child and potentially death. Matthew Shardlake, the main character of the series, he's he's this hunchback lawyer. He's physically unable to serve as as a soldier. His worries are not necessarily for his life, but how war will impact English society as a whole. In this particular book, book four of the series, we have this young man named Hugh. He's a young lad who's an excellent archer, and he wants to go headlong into battle. He's looking at the fear. It doesn't bother him, and he wants to go all out. However, his, he's prevented from going to war because his upper-class adopting parents won't let him. We have scenes throughout the book where men are gathering at the tavern singing songs about killing the French. And then we have pictures of the gentry in England and their primary concern and their fear is that their money and their property will be taken away from them. And then on page 935, I read this interaction between Matthew Shardlake and another lawyer of high standing that he was, yeah, he was with. Here's the brief dialogue. The other lawyer says to Shardlake, These are strange and dreadful times. Shardlake responds, What news of the French at Portsmouth? The other lawyer replies, They say the fleet has been sighted off the Sussex coast. People are becoming fearful. Then Shardlake says, Which is the line that captured my attention. Yes. There's much fear underneath people's show of confidence. That line, with the entire book in view, reminded me that individuals respond to crisis differently. People respond to fear in different ways. It's in times of crisis and fear when you see 
what is underneath a person's veneer. You see what is underneath kind of like the show. I'm sure you all see um, the connection I'm trying to make between the novels that I'm reading and our current COVID-19 context. People are fearful. And the question I'm going to be asking is this. What is underneath a Christian's response to COVID-19? To ask the question more pointedly, what does faith in God look like in this COVID-19 context? We all know what's going on around us, right? I hardly need to explain, but I'll just do it just for a moment. You know what is going on in your heart. There is fear and anxiety which stems from uncertainty. Lives have been changed. Job situations might be kind of up in the air. The kids are not in school, which is creating a whole new dynamic, and it's not even summer. Everyone is wondering when it's going to be okay to go to the neighbor's house. When will we be able to gather physically as a local church? When will that happen again? Nobody knows. Not right now. And I know you have more questions than what I'm just simply asking right now. Here is what I am convinced of during this time of uncertainty. It is never more important to settle your heart and focus on your relationship with God. Without a doubt, many of your questions need an answer. But until there are answers, God wants you to trust Him. God wants you to have joy. God wants you to seek Him in prayer. God wants you to lay every burden, every lay every burden down, everything that you're carrying all the fear and all the anxiety at the foot of the cross. Allow Jesus to carry them so that you can navigate these uncertain times without fear and without anxiety. In my novel, the fear of an English person certainly was not going to change the trajectory of war. Nor can your fear change the outcome of COVID-19. Instead, what God is asking of you this morning is to have greater dependence upon Him, greater faith for today and for tomorrow. In Philippians 4, in verses 4 to 9 in particular, we don't read the word faith, pistis in the Greek, but we sure see what faith looks like. We read how God calls Christians to live. Before getting into the nuts and bolts of the Christian life, I think think looking at the first century context of Philippi will help us apply how we are to respond to uncertainty and fear. I think we see several contextual similarities. As I just said, uh, the book of Philippians is about what faith looks like. In particular, it shows us what faith looks like during a time of persecution. Uh, Paul, who wrote this particular letter, like he's writing in prison in Rome. He 
understands persecution. Yet he saw the need to write because, as the letter indicates at several places, there was this lack of unity in the church. There was persecution outside the church that was coming in, and it was taking and having an effect. The lack of unity was causing doubt in the gospel and sucking joy from people in the church. Paul writes to remind them, saying, hey, hey, don't let your circumstances control how you are to live as Christians. Do not let your circumstances to cause you to be fearful and to suck away your faith-filled joy in the Lord. But just pause for a moment and consider your own life. You're on restriction. Your normal life is no longer normal. In light of all the changes, how would you describe your relationship with God? How would you describe your faith? Are you more prone to look at the news than to pray to the Lord? So my goal, just by the time I am done, is to spur you on in your faith. I want you to reconsider how you approach these uncertain times. I want you to see it is that this, right now, as I stand and where you sit and listen, is actually an opportunity to grow. Uh, These moments don't need to be a burden, but we can come to the end of this and see it as as a blessing. I'm here to remind you that God is sovereign over COVID-19. God is sovereign over the results of COVID-19. And God wants you to grow in your faith in this COVID-19 context. What we see in Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9, are these final words of Paul. It's like Paul, and some of you might be able to understand this. It's like Paul is about to leave someone's house. He was over for a dinner party and things are winding down. The kids are in bed and Paul's like at the front door, but he has more to say. And so for like the next hour, Paul just kind of, he's got to get everything off his chest and he needs to put it all in front of the people who he's talking to. What Paul says to the Philippian church and what God says to us today is worth the extra hour at the door. Here's here's what Paul rattles off and then we will look at some of the details. We read that we are, I already said it and mentioned it, we are to have joy. That's verse 4. We are to be reasonable with everyone. Verse 5. This is just going on with the list. We are not to be anxious, verse 6. We are to pray, verse 6. We are to think about whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable, verse 8. And whatever, whatever you have to put into your mind and heart, you are to walk that out in your Christian life, verse 9. So we're not going to be able to cover all the details in every aspect of the Christian life, but I do want to highlight from this particular passage just a few of these aspects. I want you to see the importance of having joy in this COVID-19 context. I want you to see the importance of fighting against fear and anxiety in this COVID-19 context. And I want you to see the importance of having peace in this COVID-19 
context. Joying the Lord, fighting fear, obtaining peace is what faith in God looks like. This is what faith in God looks like. Not only when things are going good, but actually when things are getting hard. So let's first look at joy. Kind of look at it in those in that order. Joy, fighting fear, and then peace. What we see in the entire book of Philippians is that a lack of unity caused doubt in the gospel, and that, as I already said, was like kind of like sucking joy from the church. So what does joy look like while fear and anxiety run rampant? Here is just a smattering of what joy looks like from only this book in the Bible. Paul prays in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, for the Philippian church believer, prays for the believers to have joy. In verse 18 of the same chapter, he rejoices that Christ is proclaimed. He's like, you're proclaiming Christ? I rejoice in that. And in that particular verse, he's like, whatever your motives, I take joy that the gospel is being preached. Same chapter, verse 25, Paul is convinced that the continuation of his ministry to the Philippians will contribute to their, quote, progress and joy in the faith. Like, Paul is on mission to preach the gospel so that the Philippian church can continue to see they can have joy in their Savior. And then we move over to chapter 2 of Philippians. Paul has joy when the believers are unified and single-minded. You, when you are one, you will find joy. Paul encourages the Philippian believers to also rejoice with him in his life because he's, he says he's poured out his life for them. So have joy that I've poured out my life for you. That's verse 18 of chapter 2. And just one more. Paul has no problem with the frequency of repeating this reminder to rejoice in the Lord because he knows how important it is. Chapter 3, verse 1. And there are at least twice as many mentions of joy in this short epistle. So yeah, God wants you to have joy even when every news outlet, every other social media post, and all your conversations center on COVID-19. But you know, and I know, there are various places a person can find their joy. Obtaining the joy that we read about here means knowing actually the source of joy. God's word is abundantly clear about the source of joy. In verse 4, Paul says he rejoices not in himself, not anything of the world. He rejoices in the Lord. This is an obvious point, but consider where you might tend to find joy. Some people find joy in their job. Some people find joy in their family, right? Social media can be a source of joy. Entertainment, like put on a, put on a basketball game. It could be D3, whoever basketball. Like I, I love that kind of stuff. I get that. You can find joy in a good book. People can, have, can find joy by overlooking the Grand Canyon. In this world, joy is found in many places. But here's the deal. The job will eventually end. Social media is fickle. Entertainment is but a moment. A good book has a last page and the Grand Canyon does not compare to what Christians will experience in eternity. You know, 
um, watching the Chicago Cubs win the 2016 World Series brought me a lot of joy. I'll never forget that moment. Where I was, what I was feeling, I was jumping up and down everywhere. I'm really grateful for that moment as a Chicago Cubs fan. However, that moment ended. And that moment does not compare to the eternal joy I have with Christ. Faith in the life, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus is the source of ultimate joy. The fact that Jesus is alive today is truly the only reason we need to have joy. Your joy is an expression of your faith in God. Your joy does not necessarily mean you need to be emotional, but your joy is connected to the truth of Christ. Sure, joy can invoke emotion. If you know me, that's indeed the case. Like, but ultimately... Eternal joy is rooted in Jesus. So, if all this is true, you can be joyful in a COVID-19 context. You can express your faith and be joyful in this COVID-19 context. Uh, Pastor Timothy Keller says it way better than ever I could, so I'll just quote him and hopefully that helps you. Rejoicing in the Bible is much deeper than simply being happy about something. So that's the emotional part he's getting at. He continues, Paul directed that we should rejoice in the Lord. He's quoting Philippians 4.4. But this cannot mean always feel happy, since no one can command someone to always have a, a particular emotion. To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. One more Sentence from Keller. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until the heart is sweetened and rested and until it relaxes its grip on anything else it thinks that it needs. So, when God's word commands, it is a command here, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. God desires us to receive the ultimate source of joy that we may not live in fear, which actually leads to my next point. Continuing on with Paul's string of thoughts while standing at the front door, right? It says in verse 5, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. anything, not some things, not a few things, but do not be anxious about anything. I have never had a moment where I uh, was joyful and like anxious at the same time over a particular issue, right? If you have been fearful these last couple weeks, it's likely you have not been having joy in the Lord. If anyone has reason to be anxious, as I've already pointed out, it was Paul who wrote this letter from a prison cell in Rome. And he's writing to the Philippian church saying, 
as I write this letter, I tell you, have joy in the Lord. I think Paul's able to write that because he saw the long game. God wants you to see the long game. You are able to receive this command to not be anxious of what lies ahead. Why? The world is not our home, which is why it says at the end of verse 5, the Lord is at hand. Peter, the Apostle Peter, uh, he wrote a few letters as well. He is able to write, right at the beginning of 1 Peter, that you are elect exiles. Later in that same letter, he calls Christians resident aliens. Like, your time here is temporary because there's somewhere else for you to go. One of the points of 1 Peter is that there is a greater life to come. Uh, I was uh, scrolling through Twitter this last week, and well, why not? Because everything's on lockdown and everyone's quarantined, right? But I, I came across this really... Uh, meaningful tweet from uh, Ray Ortland Jr. Uh, he said the other day, survival is overrated. Going to be with the risen Christ is underrated. Not that we should acquiesce to death, he continues. It is our enemy. But whenever it comes, however it comes, he says, it only frees us to be where we've always wanted in our deepest longings to be in heaven. As your faith in what's to come increases, then your fear in the things of this world decrease. So, if you are fearful Remember what Christ has done to give you faith, not only today, but the day to come. And then until that day, when we are with the Lord, we are to have faith, live reasonably in front of the world, verse 5, and put away fear with faith. Now, I think it's important to expand upon this for a few minutes because, let's face it, you and I both know this, like fear can be crippling. Some people are predisposed to fear. Some people are fearful when trials come up, kind of like COVID-19. A reason why you might be fearful these days is because of misplaced trust. It's another aspect of anxiety and fear and needing more faith. We put our trust in places it should not be. Let me cut right to the point. Do you trust a vaccine more than you trust God? Of course we want to see COVID-19 eliminated. Of course, we want to take precautions, not only for ourselves, but, but for the common good. But be sure not to misplace your trust in something or someone other than God. If you do that, then you will live in fear. When you place your trust in something or someone other than the sovereign creator of the universe, you're displaying, the, you're displaying the idols in your own heart. It is true. Fear has an ability to get underneath and expose our heart. Once again, Timothy Keller says in his book, 
and counterfeit gods. Anything that becomes more important and non-negotiable to us than God becomes an enslaving idol. In this paradigm, he continues, we can locate idols by looking at our most underlying emotions. What makes us uncontrollably angry, anxious, or despondent? Idols control us, he says, since we feel we must have them or life is meaningless. Fear can reveal the idols that control you. Therefore, you must work to put away fear and cultivate greater faith. What can you do to fight against fear? God's word gives us an antidote. Look at me with verses 6 and 7. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts in your minds, in Christ Jesus. So before talking about the peace of God here, which results from faith-filled prayer, look at what Paul says, what we are to, to bring to the Lord in prayer. Did you catch that? What are you to bring? Everything. Everything. You could take everything to the Lord in prayer. The ESV says we're to bring our request to the Lord, verse 6. So what request do you bring to the Lord this morning? That's the question. What can you bring? What has been causing you to be fearful that you can bring to the Lord right now in prayer? What do you need to confess? What has been the anchor that has been weighing you down that needs to get cut? What is it about COVID-19 that has made you fearful that you can bring to the Lord? Um, quick story. Before the Lord called me into ministry, I was working in property management. Um, it's an industry I, I had actually worked in for about 10 years. And at one point after seminary, I was working in an office that caused so much anxiety and fear for me. Uh, every day I like went into work walking on walking on eggshells. Um, I was fearful of saying something the wrong way to specific people, thinking I might get, get me fired. You know, it was just a very toxic environment. There were days when I would actually go home to my wife crying because I didn't want to be there, but I knew I needed the job to support the family. During this time of what was really just anxiety and stress, I was encouraged by a friend to spend more time in prayer. A very simple um, admonishment. Hey, I think, how about you spend some time in prayer? You just kind of did an inventory, what's your prayer life like? Okay, I think you need to pray. And then he said, in particular, just begin to pray for your coworkers, which I did. And you know what? Something began to change in my heart. As I persisted in prayer, I was filled with peace. My circumstances did not change, but I no longer allowed my circumstances to control me with fear. In time, I was at a place with the Lord 
where he was filling me with genuine peace. I began to look at my situation as a blessing rather than as curse. Nothing calms a, a restless and anxious soul like the peace of God. And peace is something God wants you to pursue in prayer. So here's my encouragement to you during this COVID-19 crisis. Be intentional to pray. Uh, Parents, grab your kids and as families, and as a family, pray. Couples, come together and pray. Um, Individually, find time in the midst of all the craziness and looking up the news and the social media articles about what's coming up next with COVID-19, right? Put it down and find a place before the Lord to quiet your soul and pray. Um, if you're not prone to pray in community groups, I want to encourage you to, to step out. Realize that your prayers are just as meaningful to the Lord as the person next to you and as what we're doing right now with Zoom, the screen next to you, right? Look for opportunities to pray and you will soon be amazed at the peace which will consume your heart. I have another thought about the importance of faith and peace. Have you ever noticed what Jesus says to his disciples after he rose from death to life? Um, we see this in several Gospels. Let me just show you from the Gospel of John real quick. So if you, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to, you can turn it to, to John 20, and I'm just going to go through verses 19 to 21, or you can just, just listen. Here's what it says. On that evening, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, fear of the Jews. So Jesus was crucified. The disciples did not yet know that he had risen from the dead. And they've locked themselves in an upper room because the Jews were going to kill them. So they were naturally in fear. And then Jesus came among them, it says, and said to them, these are these first words. He said, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side, just confirming that it was him, right? He is the crucified Christ. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, making the point, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, and I am sending you. So Jesus says the solution to fear, the fear of the disciples is peace. Like many today, the disciples were afraid for their own lives or their lives just being completely changed, right? The Jews were looking for them, which caused them to hide in that upper room with the doors locked. Not unreasonable actions, I think. But Jesus, he he sees their heart. He meets them in their need and urges them to obtain a faith-filled peace which only he can give. By faith, Jesus removes the fear and gives him the peace, and God wants the same for you if you've been living in fear. He says, here is my peace. So this morning, you have an opportunity to rest your soul in the peace of Christ. A Christian, this morning, you have the opportunity to remember all that God has done for you in Christ. 
you can rest with a faith-filled peace that reminds you of this eternal hope that is to come. So, how does COVID-19 land on you? Just like the historical fiction novel that I am reading, and I mentioned at the very beginning, COVID-19 causes everyone to respond differently. There's a spectrum here. Wherever you are on the spectrum, God is asking you to trust Him. God is asking you to have greater joy because of the gospel. God wants you to bring all your requests, including all those requests that come from fear and anxiety, and He wants, to co- he wants you to come to Him in prayer. Why? So that you can have peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God of peace. And in this time of need and crisis, uh, we ask for greater faith and that we would come to you in prayer and receive the peace that you have offered. Help us to grow in our faith in these days. And we know it's for our good and it's for your glory. And we also know these are not wasted moments, but these are opportunities. Help us, O oh God, to see to see what we cannot, which are these opportunities, so that we can have greater trust in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.